What is up? Welcome to Forefront 360, a podcast where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I am your host, Cody Schweiker, and that is Lucy Mancini on uh, microphone B. She's got a hot mic over there. I'm with Rich Chrisman and hello there, uh, father of Lucy Mancini, Nate Mancini. How, how we doing? Hello. How are the three of you? Lucy, how was your day? We're doing well. Yeah, she came yeah. down here and started messing with the mixing board on the sound uh, device here. She took some of her father's cookie, mm-hmm. and he is getting her all hopped up on sugar. She did ask, sugar. though, politely. She did ask. She's very sweet. She's got Prompted. curly hair, and she's precious, and she's walking away now. She's bored with our radio. Bye, Lucy. Bye, Lucy. Um, it's okay. You're not our target audience anyway. You going to go see Mommy? Okay. Not yet. Not yet. Anyway, uh, friends, um, thanks for tuning in and for this intro. Hey, we're in a home studio here. So uh, we're gathered today to have a super important discussion, actually. It's one I feel like we should have had a long time ago. I don't know how it's taken us this long. Rich, uh, a week or two ago, you were just like, boys, we need to talk about this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, obviously. Why why haven't we done this before? Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, – well, I'm just going to read. I'm going to pull back the curtain on the show here, and I'm going to read – the, the listeners here, the message that Rich sent a couple weeks ago. A little inside baseball here. Inside baseball. Okay. Here it is. Richard. Hey, boys. Capital H with the comma because you know he's an English teacher and he's got some dignity about his language. So, hey, boys, we should definitely do a podcast in the future on the challenge of making the choice whether to be a professional artist or a hobbyist. I think a lot of young artists want to tap into that conversation. Amen, Richard. Amen. So this idea... This this decision between being a professional artist and a hobbyist, mm-hmm. um, lots of us have artistic interests. My guess is if you're listening to this, you're either my mom, who's extremely supportive, or you have uh, some kind of interest, personal interest in the arts, right? Yeah. You're probably, I dare I say, not even just a consumer. You probably see yourself in some way as a, a creator or a potential creator or, you know, you want to eventually pursue something or if you're are you know, Mako, and you've created quite a few things. So, you know, every, everyone in between. Yeah. So uh, I guess we would start off today by just like, let's let's wrestle with this issue, this this challenge of like, I want to pursue this art, but I also like have to pay the bills. And sometimes those things feel mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And I think a good jumping off point for this conversation would be to do a quick profile on, on us. If you've listened to the show for a while, you may have heard us talk about like kind of our areas of interest expertise, but let's start there. Nate, let us know what you do for work and what you wish you were. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, give, give us your profile. Absolutely. Well, hello, I'm Nate. I'm one of the founders of Forefront. Welcome to Forefront 360. Uh, so I am a video producer by trade. And video production is actually uh, my kind of personal art form, the one that I've developed ever since I was little. Uh, when I was young, I got into stop motion animation with Lego bricks. That was how I got started. Really enjoyed doing that. And then gradually moved into live action and, and doing more with that. Um, so I've always enjoyed video production. And I was blessed to be able to actually enter that field for my career. So I've done it in a, in a few different ways. I started off by doing it with a, a large corporation as their their single one-man band videographer. So I made a bunch of corporate videos. Then uh, when a merger occurred, I was laid off and I ran my own video production company, which basically means I freelanced. And uh, I got, got hired on various uh, video shoots and to do various editing jobs and that sort of thing. So I, I kind of went it alone for a year. And then I joined up with a, a small ad agency in the area called Stephen James. Shout out to the Stephen James crew. Uh, they're fantastic. And so now I'm working with, with a small business. So I've, I've uh, been blessed to be able to do video production in, in those three places, right? Uh, uh, my own business, a small business, and a large business, and kind of see the different ways that, that that's played out. Um, so e- even though my, my career is still relatively young, um, it's, it's had that variety to it. Um, and I really enjoy what I do today working at a small agency because it's got that balance between 
I, I do get a regular paycheck and I have that stability for my family, but I also have just, just a lot of creativity that I'm able to imbue in my everyday work. Um, whereas I, I find at the larger corporations, you get a little more pigeonholed into kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Whereas in the smaller companies, there's, there's just more variety. The Stephen um, James you're talking about. Yeah. More yeah. flexibility. And we work with so many different clients that some clients, it might be some, some standard corporate uh, videos, others, it might be a really cool, uh, commercial or ad. And so, um, I, I really enjoy where I work. I, I really like it. And, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do the art form that I really love, which is video, um, and, and actually get paid to do it. So mm. that, that is really a blessing. Mm. I, I think more than rich, what do you think here that I think more than, uh, either of us, Nate is like in a spot where his hobby, his passion and his like profession intersect pretty closely. Sure. In terms of an art form. Right. Yeah. Because you guys have passions right. that you, you use in your full-time work. And um, we'll, we'll hear more from Rich, I think, about a way that one of your art forms is actually part of, like, your day-to-day work. But but I think you're right in that, like, the art form itself is, like, my day-to-day work. Like, right. you are creating like you art. you are doing it. Uh, yes. You know, if we want to, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm splitting hairs, but I like you are creating art for your paycheck. Right. Right. Yeah. And there is, you know, I will say, like... As we may get to later, the kinds of art that you create f- and and get paid to create are sometimes a little different than the kinds of arts that, that you create just as a hobby. And so someone yeah. might listen to this and say like, well, like it seems like an artistic filmmaker you'd be making like, you know, like art, narrative, art, like yeah. artistic films. You wouldn't be making like commercials. Right. And well, interesting point. Interesting yeah. point. So Maybe we we'll, will get to we'll that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yes, I, I make largely commercials because <laughs> there is a difference between like what you're doing on a daily basis. And like last summer, for example, we went to New York city and helped an awesome organization, Goldenwood out. And yeah. y- you were able to like be super creative in that. And, um, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that, but, uh, Rich, give us, give us your profile, man. What do you do and what, what do you love? Yeah, I think, uh, my journey can be, is, is a much more chaotic one than Nate's, um, I was one of those kids that, well, from a very young age, my top hobby was reading. Like I, I used to get in trouble with my parents for reading when I was supposed to be playing outside. Amen. Fight the power. Yeah. Too many books. And yeah. And I, uh, so like I, you know, I was a very bookish young man and I, I really liked reading. I carried books with me even when I wasn't reading even when I knew I wouldn't have time to read them, I carried books with me just because I liked the comfort of having a book with me. Dude, um, this is my toxic I trait. I go on a vacation for like a week and I bring like four books with me. And obviously Do you don't. Open no, no, maybe oh, same, maybe same. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, the aspirational. The, the last the last couple <laughs> delusional. Yeah, the last couple like weekend, you know, like road trips, whatever, I uh carried a copy uh <laughs> Barnes and Noble, you know, reprint copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> were you going to Transylvania? Where were you books? going? Okay. No, like the Finger Lakes. Have you read the whole yeah. thing? Oh yeah, I nothing. Love nothing says relaxing by the lake than yeah. quite Just like Bram Stoker's I, Dracula. I, I love Dracula, but that's a side. A side that's an aside. It, have you seen the the movie, the Francis Ford Coppola movie with uh, yes Gary Oldman? Yeah, the Oldman and, one. Yeah. Are you a fan? It's kind of like like what Baz Luhrmann did to Gatsby. Yeah. I feel like is <laughs> okay. what that is for Dracula. Fair enough. Okay. But um, I mean, who among us hasn't read Dracula while sitting by the? Finger yeah, Lakes? I mean, it's kind of a yeah. prerequisite. It's, just, it's a common yeah. thing to do. The average um, Joe across the country is doing that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but back to the back to that. I so the point is, I I was always uh, very so two things have kind of two strands have gone through my whole life so far, which is I have always been an avid consumer of stories. Um, I did a lot of reading when I was a kid. Um, I got, when I was like a, in middle school ish, I got very into story based video games. Like I got into video games, Mm -hmm. but I was never really into like, you know, multiplayer stuff in the same way that a lot of other kids were like, I was into games for the stories yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that till I was an adult, but like all my favorite games are, are very story driven. Um, that sort of thing. And then, um, 
Uh, and then separately, I have always been, uh, and again, these are things I recognize like as an adult looking back at my yeah. childhood, but um, till uh, uh, an oft ragged on quality of me in this group is <laughs> the, the Irish exit. <laughs> no, that's not a passion. That's of mine. It's one. just a thing that I do. But, um, and I prefer to call it the French exit, but we'll get into that oh, later. Okay. But um, the, uh, but anyway, I have always been uh, very much drawn to um, 2D animation in in the form oh, of yeah. you are good at that. Yeah, in the form of I'm not good at it, but I, I always it. forget uh, how good you are at that. No, but in 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 the form of uh, animated TV shows, animated movies, but also I'm very much I've always been very much drawn to graphic novels, um, and just I really like it. And particularly, I mean, I I would say that I like animation in general. I definitely do, but I'm much less intrigued by 3D computer animation uh, as I am. You're an old soul. 2D man. like cell animation. Um, so that being said, and I, those, those two, th the reason why I bring that up is because these two things have kind of, uh, whether I knew it or not been like streams that have gone through my life and deciding what I wanted to do. So, um, I, in, uh, middle school, I was interested in writing and getting involved in like theater performance. Like when I was in middle school, I mm -hmm. told people that I wanted to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And whenever I said I wanted to be an actor, what I really specifically meant was I wanted to be cast as a Jedi. That was, <laughs> that was what I wanted. But um, I want a purple lightsaber. Yeah. Like I want to be a, like when people were like, what kind of movies would you like to be in? I uh, had like, canned, I had space like operas, answers. A particular one in mind. <laughs> yeah. Actually. I had like canned answers, but in my head I was like, I really would just like to be I, the next Anakin, that would be great. <laughs> Is that but, too much um, to ask for? Yeah, there were a very limited number of roles for yeah, you. Yeah. And considering that we're like, I'm like the same. Age, yeah, considering that I'm like the same age as the as the characters in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, it was possible. Like, if they had, you know, the timing was right. If my skill had been there, but um, anyway, the um. <laughs> This is amazing. Oh, I didn't know we have been. I yeah. didn't. I didn't know we were getting this tonight. I'm so happy. Uh, no, but anyway, I, I told people I want to be an actor. Blah blah. blah. I um in in like late elementary school and middle school era, I got involved in like performing arts in the form of like theater. I was in like mm -hmm. some community show, some stuff at Browncroft Church, you know, stuff like that. And then also things through school. Of course, uh, when high school came, did you play exclusively Jedi or did you accept <laughs> I, other I, roles? I didn't play a single Jedi. <laughs> Look, that how time. can this be Damn. a nativity scene <laughs> and not have a Jedi? Yeah, exactly. Well done. Um, although, yeah, the cloaks it's in the nativity scene can really be put in that way. Yeah, uh, no, my first role was baby Jesus at Browncroft Nativity. You were Jesus. Yes. Hey, um, congrats, yeah, man. I slept I never... the whole time, apparently. Wait, how old wow. were you? Like I mean, 14? The, the were you 14 or yeah, were you actually I played an baby Jesus as a 14 year old. No, no. Well, it's all downhill from there. There. Yeah, it really is. Uh, anyway, so um, we saw what it did to Jim Caviezel's career. Long story short, I did that stuff. The point is, high school, uh, I it became, I bought into the idea that being involved in either reading and writing or dramatic theater was social suicide. And so I immediately cut out any sort of performance of any kind. And Wait, was this... After high school, you're no, ninth, ninth grade, ninth like grade. social suicide from a certain point of view. Yeah, and uh, so I immediately stopped doing any sort of performance, um, musical or acting or anything like that, um, and I largely hid the fact that I enjoyed reading books. Like I didn't bring books to school or read at school or anything sure, like that. Yeah. And then by the time I was probably, excuse me, in late tenth grade, I had actually like not purposely, but like trained myself to not read to let go. Yeah, of everything. because. Wow. I didn't, I, I didn't want to, um, I just was like, you know, I didn't read cause it was uncool. And then I actually stopped reading. Like I just didn't even, you started drinking Red anymore. Bull and watching football for 14 hours a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, the start is a comedy, but now I think it might be a tragedy. Yeah. It's not over so, yet. No so, one's ever really oh, gone. There's a twist. So I, I went to, I went to college, uh, <laughs> thinking I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, that fell apart very quickly. Classic. Um, yeah, and um, because that too is social suicide. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, and so I really was like, like the chaos part here is the fact that I was, I really was like lost. I, I would not consider myself like, even though I can see the roots of my artistic interest and and all that. Um, at the time when I was like going into college, I would not have considered myself an artist or an artsy person. Yeah. in any way, uh, because I had actively decided I wouldn't be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, th I think, uh, in college. 
I started realizing that my um, skills still were very much in the reading and writing area and in the performance area. And I, I first realized that in, in the places of like just giving speeches in classes or any sort of like creative writing, you know, type things or whatever. I just excelled at those. Yeah. And so I started being invited by people at college, both peers and professors to participate in these artistic things. Like, would you help us or would you want to be part of this coffee house concert? Would you, help us with this play, you know, like, uh, and then later on it became like, would you write a, like I was invited to write a one act to be Mm -hmm. performed, you know? And so, um, really like I, college is amazing. Yeah. And that's why I, I still think it's really like a God thing. I say this all the time that like any sort of artistic, like plugin that I have now is something that was asked of me. Like I didn't, seek it out Mm -hmm. which is which is super cool but anyway um in late college i plugged in to i i just kind of decided that it was cool to there you know it was fine for me to like really engage into this side of myself again Mm -hmm. um so i really went like full force into like the artistic side in like the latter half of college uh and i i ended up um doing dramaturgy and assistant directing on a play that went to the Kennedy Center and we won best play in the region. I didn't uh, know this. Senior year. He's been yeah. friends for years. He's never said this to me. Rich is just... That's actually amazing because I, I often am criticized often for talking about, about it. it too much. Oh, so. really? Yeah, but the... Um, <laughs> But anyway, the, so like that, did I ever tell you about the award? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So I mean, not a story that I would have told you. Yeah. So uh, upon graduating college, like I had this degree and I had this idea of where I would want to go in a a more like typical, you know, life. Um, And, but this, this kind of rash of, you know, quote unquote success, you know, as, as a college student can receive. Um, artistically made me feel like, oh, like maybe I'm on the cusp of something. Like maybe it would be foolish for me to not pursue a, a career in like theater. And um, just to be clear, I didn't mean, uh, I didn't want to be an actor at this point. Like I really was, am, was and still am very passionate about the uh, production side of um, stage shows. Writing, directing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I had all these like, cool ideas for like adapting stories that I knew into like stage shows. I was very excited about it. So this, this long meandering story is just yeah. to say that I, um, I, I wanted, I, I really tried very hard upon graduating undergrad to become a professional artist. Mm. Um, and I, the reason why I mentioned the animation love earlier on is because I tried two different things. My, uh, both in the latter half of college and upon graduating college, I was like, I have two great interests, two great loves and two skill sets, which is the realization of a performance on stage, be that like set design, um, direction, whatever that is, production, and also visual design. Um, And I particularly like hand done design. I was very interested in that at the time. So I was like, I either want to be... Yeah, I get hired doing uh, design-based work, visual work, um, or theater, or presume, or optimally both doing the visual design for stage shows or movies or something of that nature. And yeah. I went super hard into that. I interviewed at tons of theaters um, around, you know, and I, I was tr- trying to just get anything I could. I ended up taking a job as a photographer. Um, which was billed as I would be a photographer for like all sorts of things. But then I was funneled into being a school picture photographer by this company. So I was a school picture photographer. <laughs> I didn't a, know this. Dude. Yeah. And a sports photographer for <laughs> like a year. Um, and then I, during that time, you're like, it was not what I wanted. Yes. And then, du- and during that time, I also, um, and another thing that I'll mention, we'll get to later. Um, one of the, one of these things that are, you know, I think is worthy of discussing is one of the reasons why it was, it was very difficult to succeed in this journey was because of how expensive it is. Um, like if you want to make it as a photographer or, or a visual artist or whatever, materials are extremely expensive. And I put tons of money that I like large amounts of the money that I was making in these jobs, I was pouring back into equipment in hopes that I would, it would, you know, pay off. off. And um, so that, that's a huge, and we can talk about this more later, 
but the cost of becoming an artist is a huge hurdle that yeah. a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I actually um, interviewed at two different seminaries uh, at that point because I really it was really a true chaos. And I knew Dude, I, I am like yeah. I've known you for years yeah. and you're one of my closest friends and I feel like I'm learning some of this. Like I want to stop you because you're going on, but the, everything you're saying is like what? Yeah, I, I um <laughs> because I another my I guess third love at that point, <laughs> I got, you know, design performance and Theology. the good lord the good. and i was like and i was like uh and i was like maybe you know maybe i should be i'm gonna be a pastor up. no i'm gonna yeah. be. and and at the time i was very very into the anglican realignment and i was part of like the acna at the time and i was like i am gonna be an anglican priest like that's where we're gonna go so i interviewed at two different seminaries um got accepted at one and you know and i was and upon receiving the acceptance letter I thought it was a sign from God that I was meant to be a priest. Um, and I was sitting with my parents in their living room and I was like, I got this letter. And my parents were like relieved because I was bopping around or whatever. Like they didn't know where I was going to land, you know, whatever. And Taking I, school and, and, and my parents would much rather to this day, if they were listening, they would agree. They would much rather have me be uh, a man of the cloth than an artist. <laughs> so I was like, um, artist. so I was like, um, I was like, okay. And my parents were like waiting to see my like elation that I had received the acceptance. Um, and I was like excited that I was accepted, but I wasn't like, it didn't feel like the path was now clear. Mm -hmm. And my dad was talking to me about it. And I think he could tell that I had like a lot of reservation. And he was like, I think he just wanted to cut through the chaff. So he was like, do you want to do this? Or is there something else you want to do? And I said, he was, I was like, oh, I don't know. I think I want to do this. And he was like, what? And he like was pushing me. What is it you want to do? He was like, if this letter could say you are going to be a blank, what do you want it to be? And I kind of jokingly, like not seriously was like, I just like, I feel like I should just want to teach people about the stuff that I am passionate about. And he was like, so you want to be a teacher? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I want to be a teacher. He's like, you are a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and I was like, and I literally was sitting there and my dad like said, and it, that happened. It was unplanned. And then he was like, all right, well, then you better throw out that letter and start applying to teaching programs. And so he's a teacher. And so he looked at you and he said, <laughs> yeah, but it felt, it felt so like that moment. Like, I'll never forget it. Like, it felt so like, dis, like decisive. Really? Like, it felt like this moment where I was like, like being a teacher was not on the table at that moment. So you didn't feel like he was yeah. forcing you. He, you feel like he just listened no, to you. No, he was and literally waiting for me to say what the like knot was inside that I was unable to unravel. Like, what do you actually want this letter to say? Yeah. Like, if it, you could magically have it say cool what you want. Cool way to frame want. that, Dad. Yeah, and I said, and I was like, I wish that I could. I think what I said is, I wish I could teach people about plays because I yeah. love plays, Dude, right? And you do that. We're getting. No, but then I said, and then he said, um, spoiler and he was like, all right, let's do it. And I literally, it felt so insane. Like I had already had a a bachelor's degree in a different thing. I had been working. I'd been out of college for over a year at this point. It seemed literally insane to go back to be a teacher. You'd taken tons of school photos. You'd played baby Jesus. (laughs) Yes. And at that point, yeah. And at that point I was like, but it just felt like, it just felt like that was the only like way forward at this point. Like once I had like said it, it was one of those things. Like once you like verbalize it, you like can't take it back. Mm. And I was like, all right, well, this is what I have to do. I went to Roberts Wesleyan to get a master's in education. Um, I ended up being kind of driven by some other people to get my like dual masters in special education with a focus in uh emotional support and i also have a uh, certification in english secondary and i am currently uh, an emotional support special ed teacher with a uh teaching english 11th grade (laughs) and i am the co-director of the schrader theater company webster schrader high school drama club yeah so we um nice. so all this crazy tale um which nate will have to cut a lot yeah. out of yeah. um is to <laughs> say is that i have i have ended up at a place where i actually do what i what i wanted to do and what i was meant to do all along but i did not understand 
what that was or what the path was to get there. So I do think that I'm in a, a perhaps unique place where mm. I don't, there isn't like an incredible job somewhere that I like wish Long I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't have that. And that is remarkable because from the time I was probably in like eighth grade or so until the time that I started working as a teacher, I felt like a tremendous tangle in like who I was and what right. I wanted to be. And I felt that I would always be dissatisfied right. whatever path I ended up taking. Right. Um, so wow, that's my tale. Dude. That's awesome. Wow. I feel like yeah. I didn't expect to learn a lot of new info about you guys tonight during this episode um, because we just known, known you and known you well for a long time. But that was, wow, that was new for me. And you literally get to, you know, direct plays as part of your job. Yeah. Right? I Which mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess you do. Yeah. And this, this year, this past year was especially fun because I got, uh, in the fall, I was able to select my own shows. Um, I've co-selected shows in the past, but this time I, I selected my own show and I got to direct, um, I've always wanted to marry uh, TV shows that I like with stage plays. Yeah. And I was able to direct an episode of Frasier and an episode of The Odd Couple on stage. And that was just so satisfying for me. Ah, so. That's so cool, man. It won't be long before you can cast yourself as a Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's true. <laughs> this trajectory. Fulfill all childhood dreams. <laughs> uh, at some point in the next, I think, 20 years... Um, the uh, the concept of Batman becomes public domain, so wow, you know we could do some cool stuff with that. Literally anybody can be Batman at that point, right? Yeah. Just because anybody can be <laughs> Batman doesn't mean anybody <laughs> should be Batman. A valid point. Um, okay, uh, Rich, thank you. Um, comes to me, and I'll give you a quick profile here. Uh, my name is Cody Schweikert. And What's your story? My story. Uh, I grew up um, obsessed with movies. But not knowing that that I was more obsessed than like the average person, I just thought like, oh, people love movies. Um, we moved a lot growing up, and uh, you know, like just in from yeah, I don't know. I've probably lived in close to thirty different twenty twenty five different like apartments, houses, it, like over the course of you know my childhood, and uh, we would occasionally move into a place that had like free basic cable. So TV, um, you know, like 60 channels, whatever. Um, but if not, which is most of the time, then we just had like two, four, and seven. And I know if you're, if you're like, if you were born in the year 2000, you may not even know what I'm talking about right now, but TV used to be like literally three channels and the whole oh, yeah. culture would like watch the same shows and it was sad and wonderful all at once. Remember you had to have, you would have to wait a full week to watch another episode of a show. <laughs> We're finally relearning that skill with like certain, you know, yeah, limited but it series. Sucks. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> but like whenever they release like one episode a week, I literally don't even remember. I'm like, who is this character? Like, what is this show? Like, imagine, like a like, week later. You, how many episodes I've watched in between? Like if the show yeah, episodes right, are right. on Tuesday, right? By the next Tuesday, I've watched whole seasons of other shows. <laughs> yeah. Nate's got a judgmental look on his face right now. Um, yeah. Inserting so, some controversy yeah. here. <laughs> so anyway, I uh, most of the time we didn't have TV really. And so my family, uh, especially when I lived with my mom, bounced back and forth between my mom and my dad. But especially my mom's house, we always had a VCR. By the grace of God, this is a video cassette. I don't know what this is called. A VCR stands for VCR. That's what it means. It plays movies. Um, and we had these tapes and uh, we would collect them. And like, you know, eventually, you know, it's 2002, three, whatever. I go to my uncle's house. He's got a DVD player. I'm like, whoa, what is this? And we watched some crummy mummy sequel. And I was like, okay, you have to rewind it now, right? You just took it out. You didn't rewind it. You got to rewind those, man. And he's like, bro, this is a DVD. You don't rewind these. And my mind was blown. And so from then on, we started to collect DVDs. You go to Walmart, get that, get in that $5 bin, start diving to the bottom. You find mm-hmm. some gems there. That was gold. Yeah, so we rewatched the same movies over and over again. Anyway, so I was obsessed with movies, and I read Harry Potter to the point where I got in trouble. But beyond that, <laughs> beyond that, I had no idea that I had any kind of artistic interest because I was, my whole identity was like, 
I'm this jock guy. I, my dad got me into football at a young age. I started playing when I was eight years old, all through high school, football, basketball, track, and I was like the dude, you know, who's like the athletic jock dude. And I, I cared enough about school to get like between an 89 and a 91 average. Like that was my sweet wow. spot there. Uh, you know, dipped into the merit roll a couple times there. Didn't know the Lord. It was lost for some years. Uh, but um, anyway, I, it wasn't until I got to college that I figured out, like, oh, like writing, language, academia. Like, I care about these things. I've, I'm curious about the world. And um, I met a, you know, a film teacher who's like, hey, you need to watch these movies. Uh, you ever heard of The Godfather? I'm like, I mean, I've heard of it, but uh, I don't know what it's about. It seems really long. He's like, come, you know, come to my class, watch The Godfather. And uh, Cody wishes it. He's curious about the planet. (laughs) I would go, like, I would go to this guy's class when I didn't even have class. He's like, yeah, I'm teaching a film class at this time on Tuesdays. Uh, Come this week, we're watching The Godfather in class. I'm going to talk about it. So I would just show up in the back of the room. I wasn't even on the roster in these classes. And uh, anyway, um, that love for movies continued. But really what it was is like uh, writing, poetry. Um, and short stories, and took some classes, some awesome people, MJ Iupa, um, Sarah Freely, like really influential people, and young Cody, and wrote a bunch of terrible poems, and I was writing it for fun, and I just told my class, we're doing a poetry, and I'm a high school English teacher now, and I just told them last week, I'm like, yeah, this haiku, here, we're going to do haiku today, I wrote this one, like, back in college, and like, oh, yeah, I had to write it for a class, and I'm like, Actually, no. I, I was just, like, in my dorm room writing poetry for fun. And they were like, Mr. Schweiger, that's so sad, bro. Did you even go to parties? And I'm like, "What? you don't know anything about that. They're in uh, ninth grade. I know. I'm like, what, young man? What are you talking about parties? You don't know about parties, do you? Please? Uh, anyway, um, that that's my, that's my thing. My, my passion is writing. Um, I've, I've got a ton of poems I've written. Um, I've got a big document that I've, like built up over the years and some of them back in the day are like okay some of them are truly bad there's like three that are like oh these actually stand the test of time um because it's i'm coming up on you know almost like eight nine years now of of working on this stuff and so yeah the encouraging thing is i'm not sure i'm like any good yet i don't submit stuff a lot i keep telling myself one day i'm gonna like submit a lot of this stuff because the google doc page is like 200 pages long at this point um but I can see development. I'm like, okay, the stuff I'm writing today or like two years ago is much better than the stuff I started doing in college. And so that's yeah. encouraging to me. And it's something that like if I never, if nothing ever becomes of this stuff that I write, I think I'm, I'm getting like this piece to it because I know that I really enjoy doing it and it's a, kind of a thrill for me. And it feels, this is maybe corny and cheesy. And it doesn't always feel this way, but it feels like something that like, I do for myself and for God and God sees it and appreciates it and he gets it. And I don't, there's a terrifying thing that and rich, you know what I mean by this? Like when you share your writing with the world or even a close friend, it's a really it's not terrifying, but it's like, it's, it's a little vulnerable thing. It's like, yeah, I'm not sure you like, you'll really get this. Like why I chose to put that word there. And I don't want to explain it to you. Cause then I'll be that guy. And I don't even know if I don't want, I don't want to force my poetry on you. So you have to like, you got to kind of like, actually want to hear it otherwise I don't want to bother you with it and uh, but I think what's more accessible to people is like short stories and um, novels and um, like a dream would be like writing a screenplay for a movie because if you ask me what's what do I prefer like movies or reading a book um, I love reading I own tons of books I even read them occasionally but uh, movies are like feel really special to me Um, and that's why like uh, Nate you're fascinated me from early on in our friendship because I'm like, oh, this guy can actually make movies. And um, it's super talented in that way. So my dream is that the the three of us will just, like, make a feature film someday that wins an Oscar, and then you can hopefully, you know, not slap me uh, if I say anything wrong (laughs) on stage. But, yeah. (laughs) That escalated quickly. It did escalate. Yeah, you could could write it. Rich could direct it, and I could shoot it. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, I think that, yeah, I'm rambling now, but for me, uh, my passion is in, um, writing and, uh, I don't currently do that because I'm a teacher and I'm busy, man. I'm teaching kids, uh, poetry and stories and short stories and novels and plays. And I'm trying to get them excited about like 
enjoying literature and like the power and importance of stories and how like even if you don't love writing and like identifying comma splices you should still love english language arts class because uh we're gonna have fun in here and like stories are the reason we live like there's all that uh, dead poet society and c.s lewis has that quote about you know friendship and philosophy art these things are not necessary for survival but they're like why we stay alive they're what we stay alive for and uh, so I, I try to bring that philosophy, and I get a, a huge thrill by, like, trying to get other kids excited about stories, and I get to use movie clips and all of that stuff. So I could say a lot more about that, but we should keep we should keep rolling and hit a couple more questions before we wrap. Yeah. Yeah, sound good? I have to say that's an, that's an incredible thing to think about, particularly, you know, as, as people who are artists or creators who might be listening, like, we talk, particularly in America, so much about making money and making a living and building a career. Mm-hmm. And then when we actually have time to, to rest and relax, a lot of what we enjoy doing is like consuming and talking about media of yeah. different sorts, right? right? Movies, TV, plays, books, whatever it is that, that you're interested into, music and concerts. Um that's like the stuff that we kind of, we kind of live for it in yeah, a way, like yeah. those experiences yeah. and those stories and that enjoyment and that conversation around it. And, you know, like if you're somebody who's, who's, who's involved in making those kinds of things and storytelling in some way, like even if you're not making a lot of money doing it, right. you're kind of doing the stuff of life that like, people wish they could be spending their time on, but instead they have to like do their job that makes them money. And like you're involved in like producing that stuff. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I was, uh, just last week I was, um, I started my English class. I was like, all right, kids. I was like, did you guys see that sunset on the drive in this morning? And I knew that they did because it was absurd, absurdly beautiful. Uh, like bright orange, pink. sorry, sunrise. Did I say sunset? (laughs) My bad. Um, sunrise and, uh, it was like, I notice even mildly pretty sunrises, but this was like, oh my gosh. Like I was in traffic looking at the people next to me through my window. I was like, you guys seeing this right now? <laughs> it was that kind of special. And they, almost all of them were like, yeah, that was incredible. Um, and I was like, that is why we read poetry kids. And then I started and, uh, it was pretty cool. It's one of my cooler moments to give us words for the transcendent. That's right. Yeah. So uh, anyway, let's uh, let's try to tag a couple more of these. We've been going here for a while. Here's a question. Does making your creative work your main source of income soil the romantic joy of creativity? Deep loaded question for you there. Uh, I have this feeling about writing. Like if I, if I quit teaching and just like, you know what, I'm going to write and go for it. I had this feeling like I would wake up every day with like this burden of like writers write. Writers write when they don't feel like writing. They have to. It's just like mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta crank it out. It becomes a job and a duty and labor Stephen is toil. King's, yeah. Stephen King's whole thing. Yeah, that's his whole philosophy. He's like, you know, don't wait for inspiration. That's nonsense. Real writers don't do that. And in that sense, like I'm not a real writer. I I like having writing as a hobby because I'll go seasons, like weeks, maybe months without like writing much at all. But then when, like, when something takes me, like, I go for it, and it's pure joy for me. Like, if I'm ever, like, frustrated or done, I just close the laptop and, like, come back later. Mm. So that's my question to you guys. Does making your creative work your main source of income soil the romantic joy of creativity? So I have I have two um, opposing thoughts to throw out, one that kind of says yes and one no in a way. Never ask questions of the L's, for they will tell you both yes and no. But um, the, the the first one is I, I think whenever you get paid for your work, there's usually somebody who is telling you how to do it yeah. in, in one way or another. And, and this could happen uh, on uh, in the most obvious way that like you get commissioned to make something and you have like a producer who's kind of defining for you uh, what those qualities are of what of what you're going to make. You got to do what they want. Okay, that can soil the romantic joy a little bit. But even at the further end where maybe you have your own audience that's paying you to make stuff. Right. Maybe you have a big following on Patreon and they're all paying you to do what you love. Even at that point, there is this sense of because you're kind of getting paid to do it, you're trying to think about like, what does my audience want? 
And sometimes that can take away some of that romantic joy of like what you wanted to make because you're, you're thinking about how it's going to be perceived. Even if it's subconscious. Even if it's subconscious. Yeah. So I I do think that that is a common thing that as soon as that exchange of money is taking place, that there is a piece of that, that, that comes into play where you're thinking about how other people are, are going to perceive it. Uh, not only yourself. That may not be a bad thing. That might be a good thing for your art, but it, it is different. But on, on the other side, I would say time is a significant factor. Making great art takes time. And if you are working full time doing something else, not your art, and you want to do other stuff in life, like sleeping or having a family yeah. or having a social life, right? it's really hard to make a lot of great art in the margins. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and so I just put that out there is that, that kind of counterpoint that, that there, there is this push and pull that we, we want the romantic joy, but also it's really nice if you can dedicate a significant amount of time to your, your work. Your best hours of, of the day, even, yeah. you know, like whatever yeah. that is for you, eight to 11 AM. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with you, Nate. And I think that one thing that's just, like another thread to think about is the fact that oftentimes depending on like the medium you're working with or whatever, there are ways that quote unquote art makes money. And that is very infrequently what the artist actually wants to do, which is, is Mm. what you're talking about. But like an example I think of is like in the case of like photographers, right? If you are a portrait photographer, you love taking pictures of people in for you know as a fine art. And then you realize you need to pay the bills, so you become a portrait photographer or a wedding photographer or something like that. I think that it very quickly becomes you are a wedding photographer now. Right. Yeah. Who does who occasionally puts out art photography, but here's the reason why I'm sharing this though. What I have found from talking to a lot of artists and stuff, which is uh, like so heartbreaking is in so many cases, what the photographer or the artist thinks is like, I do this stuff to pay the bills, but this thing I'm holding, that's what it's all about. This is what I really, Mm -hmm. and the, and the average person could care less about the, about the thing that the artist thinks is really what it's all for, you know? And like, like I've had a lot. And so I think that one thing that's really tough about making your art, like if you have the ability to make your art full time, unless you are literally famous or you are patronized, the chances by a fabulously wealthy person or, and or organization, the chances are, that the art that you really want to make is not only not going to pay the bills in itself, but it's also not going to be what people are paying attention to. Yeah. And, and, and I find that to be true, even with like big time musical artists, like there are, yeah. Like, I mean, like this, what their favorite songs are, are oh, not yeah. their audience. Yeah. 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 And, and like, yeah. And I think of this interview, <laughs> I think of this interview that I listened to, like probably in like 2012, like it was a while ago, but it was with Bruce Springsteen and like, Bruce Springsteen was talking about how like he released these albums in like the nineties and like early two thousands that he was like, finally he had felt that he had reached a level of success and like trustworthiness as an artist that he was like, I can release these albums of the music that I really want to make and people will still like it. And he, then those albums That's, were huge yeah. critical fails and like they didn't sell the critics didn't like them. And then yeah. he went and then in like, 2008 or whatever he went back greatest to, hits tour <laughs> it was when obama was running for president he went back to like the old school springsteen and then had like a comeback of popularity pay the bills baby yeah yeah and like yeah biggie smalls which i he comes up in every forefront 360 episode i know the notorious big i mean he is notorious but he he was notorious for like making these like hardcore gangster rap like uh tracks that him and his like dudes would like this is a sick song we just made. Um, and then the, you know, there are stories about like how his, you know, his like dude, his advisor, whatever record label dude was like, okay, you need to make one for the ladies now. And what that meant was like, you need to make a song that like people will play like at like, you know, social settings and one that's like popular and not like got these intricate rhyme schemes. Like you need to just make like a really easy yeah. song for people here. He's like, all right, fine. 
But there's a similar principle to that. It's like commercial success can so often feel at odds with like our pursuit of like real artistic excellence or what we feel like mm-hmm. we're, we're really called to be making. Well, and there's something to be said too about the fact that like there are so many artists, like particularly, uh, I mean, I think of visual artists, but like there's a lot of, in all sorts of mediums, there's lots of artists where they are, their greatness was not perceived by not only the masses, but even like academia until like years after they were dead or like had stopped producing art altogether. Yeah. Vincent Van Gogh, man, he died poor, right? (laughs) But I mean like there, yeah, no, no, you're totally right. I'm but like, I'm thinking too, like there are like bands that were, you know, received like, you know, a flash in the pan popularity in like, you know, the like in like 2002 that like now like Rolling Stone magazine is like, this 2002 pop punk album was actually like the voice of a generation, yeah, but yeah. in the time, like no one noticed yeah. or cared. There are movies like that as well. It's like yeah. the Irishman is going to be a movie like that. I cannot believe it's not lauded man. people. <laughs> gosh. Um, where are we here, boys? Any other thoughts on that? I mean, I think there's a piece of it where like, like what Rich was saying, if, if you are really into a particular type of art creation and people don't seem to get it, and they don't seem to find that important or marketable. Like part of that might be when you're really into something, you, you kind of delve deep and it, and it becomes nuanced and complex. And, and all of the things that a passerby cannot grasp at first viewing. And in yeah, our, yeah. in our culture, what we love most is accessibility, yeah, right? Quick, it's got to be easy. accessible. Yeah. If I see it and I don't even get it, I don't even understand it, next, right? Because yeah. like there like, are so many other things I can look at. Yeah, this I'll is understand. the tragedy around like Mako's <laughs> paintings, right? Like the, he will tell you like you have to look at it for a minute, yeah. like for more than a minute. Yeah. Like if, stare if, at it for 10 minutes. And that doesn't yeah. necessarily vibe with the average Instagram scroller, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have something to share quickly that uh, is just come to my mind. Do it. Part of the reason, yeah, like if someone said, hey, Cody, you can write books and like they'll get published. Here's the guaranteed money. It's going to be the same that you make as teaching, which is not a fabulous amount, right? But if someone's made that offer to me, I'd have to seriously ask myself, like, would I leave? Because I love teaching. I really love it and want to coach yeah. sports and like minister to kids and in, in whatever, you know, public setting school, whatever that means. But I think I, what I'm saying is there is this fear that like I'm not good enough to be a real writer. That's why I don't do it. And mm-hmm. the fact is that 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 may be true. I mean, um, let's let's be frank. Like some of us uh, should like keep something as a hobby and not try to feed your family on it because like it is possible. This is not a popular thing to say. It is possible that you are not talented enough oh my gosh can i say that like i just think about you could be anything you want to be yeah like like i actually would maybe a really mean thing to say i would check you on that i don't think it's i don't think it's talent but but here let me let me run a scenario by you i think there's gifting god's given us like talent i think talent exists and matters what if somebody who is like your friend is like i want to be a rapper and like they're just not good at rapping. Like don't like don't you need to like as a good friend at some point don't you be like, "Hey bro, you're really good at like getting people excited about stuff. Why don't you teach or why don't you do this thing?" Um like you're really good at this stuff. I see you like squandering this talent that the Lord's given you pursuing this thing that like I'm going to be honest, man, this you're not super good at this. And I know that's mean to say, but I love you. I can imagine that being a possibility at least. And so for, for me, there's an insecurity of like, I'm not good enough. That's why, that's why I don't submit my poems because they'll just be rejected. And like all that insecurity gets tied up in this stuff too. And I imagine for a young artist who's like, I got to go, go all in on this. Uh, that's got to be a constant yeah. like battle for them. The only reason why I, I think you're right about the, especially with the rap analogy, they really brought it home. <laughs> yeah, but I, think I, the, had to, uh, I had to go to that. But I think the, but like the reason why I counted the, that with talent is because I think about the fact that like, like I, you know, foolishly have submitted work to like the New Yorker a couple times in the past. Right. And I think about what short stories and poems get published in the New Yorker. And I think about the fact that probably hundreds of excellent short stories 
that if they were selected this time around would be in the New Yorker and they're just as good as the one that got selected. So when people are like, I just don't have the talent or whatever, and I realize this is not what you were saying, but another thing that is important is the fact that like you like listener, you know, whatever could be an excellent writer of poems and short stories or or whatever, but it's just not in the cards for whatever reason, your work isn't being selected, right? I, I think that in this tremendous surplus of creativity that we have in the world today, mm-hmm. there's an immense yeah, surplus talent, of creativity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in the history of like literature and the publication of literature, for most of history, a very small elite group of people had access to publication uh, in any way. Yeah. And the fact that, like, when we think, like, oh, these people were the best art, like, writers of their time, maybe they were, but there were a very, very small population slice of the population. I'm not even talking about the Middle Ages. I'm talking about like 1920, you know. <laughs> and and the yeah. fact that, like, and today, like, there are, I, I would guess, millions, if not tens of millions, of great writers that yeah. have the ability to write the next great American novel. Yeah. But the forces just haven't aligned to make that possible. So if you are at home and you have half of a novel written, you know, and you're like, this is really yeah. freaking good, but no one picks it up. That doesn't mean it wasn't good. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. And and that is the problem with like this approval thing that I was talking about. Like the, the piece that I have arrived at and struggle to stay on with the writing bit is like, Hey, maybe like, you know, when I when I die, these will I'm sure these will be discovered and I'll be like remembered as this genius that never got his due. Right? I'm joking, but uh, you tell yourself that. But in heaven, <laughs> but that's there's I, I mean it. that's a whole other conversation. I mean we need to maybe finish with that. <laughs> but 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 like I I write because like I think it honors God and I enjoy doing it. it gives me it's an act of worship for me when I'm doing it from a healthy perspective, mm-hmm. and so like. I'm cool with it. Like if it, if it stays where it's at and it never goes beyond what it's, what it's doing, even forefront, like if this never blows up, man, like in the ways that like we might dream it could, I I have zero regrets about like sitting here with you boys and and doing this and this journey we've been on. But, but like here's, here's an analogy. There aren't many other groups of white guys doing a podcast right now. Just the fact that the world needs this, man. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that great tweet (laughs) that I sent you guys once. We're brave. We're brave. It said like, there's this tweet that I shared with you guys like a month ago. I don't know if you remember, but it was like, it was like, do straight white guys know that they can be friends without starting a podcast? <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, not in, and we're like, not in my experience. And we're like, so no, <laughs> no, actually. Yeah, uh, it's so funny, <laughs> like, man. Think of, uh, never mind. Uh, but, it's but so the, funny. But here, the analogy, an analogy that I always like to think about is like, why, like, why do someone who like works out your, works out their body, right? You exercise to work out your body. Right. Why why do you do that? To get stronger. For look, for what purpose? Be looking good on the beach, Rich. Right, right. And eventually your body is going to age well, that's okay. pretty quickly, right? <laughs> I was I was joking. So just wait, no, no, okay, no, I'm going somewhere with this. Go ahead. I'm going somewhere with this, right? So we you people we as the American people, I'm gonna speak as Americans because I really don't know the cultural values of other groups, right? But <laughs> I don't but in, in but like as Americans, right? Like we very much value having uh, w- working out one's body to be aesthetically pleasing sure. and also physically healthy. But mostly we like yeah. the way it looks, Sustainable. right? And the idea is the we're like okay, we would put we all agree that it's a great use of your time to put tremendous effort and time into making your body strong and physically Healthy. appealing. Even though we yeah. know that there is a very clear shelf life on the the abilities of that body and the looks of that body. Yeah. But we all agree that it's a valuable use of time. Yeah. Yeah. But when we talk about ex- engaging our creativity oh, and those muscles, like should I write this novel? I think the average person would be like, do you think the novel would ever really get published? And if the answer yeah. is no, don't waste your time. Or would many people buy it if you saw yeah, yeah. published? And then if someone's yeah. like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah you're right. should I should I spend my time after work writing this novel that I've been cooking for a long time? Or should I like go on the elliptical? And most people will be like, 
you should really like work on your body. It's much more important. And I'm not saying that it's not important. The analogy is the fact that like, I don't understand why we see the temporalness of art as invalidating. Mm. Whereas other temporary things were like, go for it. Yeah. How many saints has Satan silenced? Out of with that lie. That sounds like the beginning yeah. of a great rap cipher. <laughs> yeah. Yo, you should be supporting me too. <laughs> Bro, you're not a great rapper. But that's <laughs> but, but we love you, man. I was trying we it love on. You. I was trying yeah. it off for a minute. It was a good it was a good poem. Yo. Yeah. You are a Yo. good poet. Yeah. No, I feel like I feel like this has been a beautiful discussion, but we should um like this yeah. is a cool final thought about like what heaven has to say about this, like the theology of that and, and how that ought to inform this discussion. Yeah, and and what I so a big thing, and I've, if you're a listener to Four Three Sixty, you've heard me personally talk about this a lot in like sprinkle this around lately because it's what I've been working on for the past year or so, or rather, what God's been working on in me for the past year or so, and and this might be controversial actually speaking to artists, you know, like from the forefront, you know, stage here, but I am really starting to believe that like our definition of what is art is actually like foolishly narrow. And I think that God's vision of human creators is far bigger than what we have designated as like art. Painting and yeah. And I really see the same, the same activity that's being done by a, a fine art painter and the activity being done by, the guy who measured out and put in my kitchen countertop. Yeah. Like, like we say that all the time. It's a work of art. This activity is a work of art. We say that like tongue yeah, in cheek, and, and, but right. And, and the fact that like when I, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, it's just an example I know. Right. But when I am sitting with a group of students that I have recently met and I create a lesson for the following day that I know will bounce particularly off of particular personalities in the room. Mm -hmm. And I've crafted the lesson to their interests and I know that and their Mm -hmm. learning styles and whatever that's creativity in action, creating, you know, a beautiful end. And I think that the fact that, so a, I think that anyone who is using the faculties that God has given us productively is an artist. Secondly, the temporal nature of our creativity is a lie from Satan because God created man to enjoy and glorify him forever. And one of the ways that he, he, he made us in his image was in the way that he is the only being that can create out of nothing and we are the only living things that can create intelligently, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We And using the materials he's given us. Mm-hmm. God's intention of us to create alongside him mm-hmm. and build goodness and cultivate the garden and to be fruitful and multiply in ways more than just having children, right? Mm-hmm. To be fruitful in yeah. the world. Bear fruit. That was his intention from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So while the specific painting Starry Night may not exist in eternity, maybe. Maybe it will. God, our Lord works in mysterious ways. But the while that painting may not exist, people in heaven will, br- will have the perfection of their creativity brought along with them. Like, your creative ability, Cody, when you write stories, mm-hmm. that's not going to go away in right, heaven. You're right. going to be a better and perfect storyteller with less emotional baggage and insecurity and all the junk and and god will be bringing us to perfection and empowering us to do what he's made us to do for eternity in heaven right so the stories that you are going to tell in heaven Mm -hmm. are going to be your stories right far better than they are now and we have eternity to appreciate them yeah so there's no economy of of scale yeah, and there there will be no ego in heaven, no insecurity. There will uh it it'll be pure. It'll be like we're doing this to glorify God. And there's there's no fear about it. And it'll it'll probably just be better art, right? Like it will oh, just definitely. like I hope so. Yeah, like I was talking about like getting better just in the last eight years at whatever, crafting a poem. I imagine yeah. like fifty billion years in, 
I'm going to learn a couple new things um, from like the infinite creator uh, that, yeah, it's something to look forward to. And it's a comfort in, in this like strange, long, sometimes confusing journey of like being a creator now. And think about this yeah. too. We always think of like heaven or not. I mean, I've always thought of heaven as like a, an Eden-esque experience, right? So we're all like around this, you know, in, in this garden, whatever, with no electricity yeah. is the point. And God, God is, is fullness, right? He's the fullness of good. He's the fullness of glory. Movies are good. Do we agree? Yeah. <laughs> Rich I, is doing some advanced logic yeah, here. <laughs> I, I do not. I think that there are good things that exist on this earth that are due to human technology, technological advancement. I don't think God will strip us of those good things in heaven. Mm-hmm. So I think that like, think like, I think that in eternity there will be things like cool cars and movies. You think we'll get to go to the movies? Yeah. Here's yeah, my I here's my so. question about stories, and this is not a rabbit hole we can get into. Stories need conflict and evil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> will there be no crying, that no pain, is another no episode? <laughs> like like stories need conflict to work. And some of my favorite stories are definitely not going to be shown in the movie yeah, theaters the in sto- heaven. Yeah, but the stories. That- <laughs> But telling like tales of con of conflict is different. Is different than bringing yeah. conflict upon. Person. Cody One walks th- up to the pearly gates for this Tarantino collection, <laughs> and Saint Peter's like, "We don't. You do can. That we here. Don't you can do that here, Cody. You can come in, but that's this business from Earth doesn't doesn't count. Leave those by the door. Yeah. Um, except for Pulp Fiction, his iconic film. Never mind. Uh, hey, my my last thought on this, and then we can hear from Nate and wrap this. Is uh, it, it's just a much more simplified yo yo. It's a much more simplified um addition of what Rich said so eloquently. Is that like if break it down? If you feel disappointed or like unappreciated or lost on this journey as a creator. Take comfort in knowing that heaven is going to be a real place. It exists like Christ came and was resurrected, and so too will we like be resurrected and join him like in a real city, the new Jerusalem on earth, a restored earth. Our feet are going to hit the ground. We're going to hug each other. We're going to drink. We're going to eat, and we are going to create, and like it's going to be a lot better, I have a feeling. So I don't know what heaven will be like, but I know we're going to be doing things. We're, we're going to be working. It's not going to be toilsome. It's not going to be like Monday work stinks, but we will be working in, in like honoring God, and it's going to be it's going to be a good time, I think. Yeah, working in the way yeah. that like, you know when you get in the zone, when you're yeah. doing something, you're like putting something together that you really, really love and you really yeah. want to put like together. Like when you're There's crafting no- an Instagram post for Forefront, Rich, and you're like, yeah, there's uh, there's no toil in, in the that. Zone. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> euphoria. You're not rolling your eyes posts. at all right now. No. Yeah. Um, Nate, final thoughts here, bro. Man, I was I was just thinking of a little bit of a progression from like just doing art alone to like trying to make something successful. And so I so I have this a, a little bit of a, a, a pronged progression here. The first one is let's say you're just like doing things humbly by yourself. Like we were talking about, like you're just doing some poetry in your spare time. And, you know, like Rich was saying, there's value in that, that we don't even recognize right now. Um, on, on the recent Jonathan Ogden episode, he, he talked about how he really believes that the most important audience is God. Mm. right and like christian musicians have said for a long time like yeah i'm playing for an audience of one but that's really true in a way where it's like if we really believe in god's presence his presence with us and in us then doing art even just by ourselves creatively for his glory that's important that matters that's beautiful and he's he's happy about that If, if we're if we're doing it for him and with his principles in mind I think that's a good thing in and of itself. And so like be encouraged if that's you and you're just kind of doing art a little bit in your spare time, you're just making something here and there and you're not trying to put it out there in the world. <laughs> but secondly, I would say, I, I also think there's real value in sharing things. And so like part of me is a little bit disappointed when I hear you, Cody, like oh, I'm writing all this stuff and like, 
haven't haven't really shared much of it. Like there was that moment during the the December forefront event when you got to share that story that you wrote about the guy that gets, <laughs> gets trapped in the car. Gets trapped yeah. in the car. And it was it was so good. And like you could feel like people just like the tent that palpable tension as they listened to it and they were like experiencing that all together in a room. And that's just that's just bigger and like more interesting and something more expansive than you just writing it yourself and like telling somebody, yeah, I wrote this story. Like you got to share it live and we all experienced it and we can reference it later and it's become a part of our lives. That's really special. And so maybe that story wasn't as good as it could have been. Maybe it's not as marketable as it could potentially be if you had all of these connections and skills and whatever, but like even just the story that you wrote and you shared, that was really valuable. And I think, so just like sharing stuff with each other, I, I think let's keep doing that mm-hmm. even if we're not making money doing it. And then maybe finally, like if you're somebody who is trying to kind of get out there and, and make money doing your art and you're, you're pitching your work and you're trying to get in the New Yorker and like, and, and you're not right. And, and you've, you've tried and failed and you're like, what do I, do? what do I do now? Um, maybe, maybe you should just be a teacher. Uh, and that's great. But, <laughs> but, but, uh, you can write in the summer. So real quick friends, real practical. If you love to write and you're struggling, want to pay the bills, teach English, you will be surrounded with your work. And then in the summers, you can like actually pour yourself into writing projects. Uh, please don't be a teacher unless you love kids and want to be a teacher. <laughs> Cause we have a huge uh, problem in schools these days. Oh, uh, thanks Rich. You, that, gotta, you gotta be a good teacher. I don't, hope that goes without saying, yeah. let me, let me remind you, you do have to like spend a lot of time with kids you have and to be like social. Kids. Don't be a mediocre yeah. teacher. But, um, <laughs> but, 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 but it's just that piece of if, if you've like tried and failed to like make your work marketable and be successful, I think there's value in that too, because like, I mean, we, we, we serve a God who showed us that resurrection comes after death and that good things come out of tragedy and that there is beauty that follows failure and hardship. And so I, I don't, I don't believe any of our journeys in the arts is going to be just one success to the next, you know, riding, riding the hands of the crowd and if it is, if you're just like crowd surfing the whole time, you're probably doing something wrong, you know, <laughs> as, as a Christian, if you're trying and failing, like, yes, like keep working at your craft, try to get better, but also just know like, like God is there in yeah. the failures and God is there in, in the waiting and the longing and the work that he is doing on you and your heart and the people who you share your work with matters and is valuable even if nobody pays you for it yeah amen uh we can, i feel like we could say so much more uh let's stop there for now um friends if you tuned in we're we're really thankful to have this discussion um i don't know like if, if there's even one person that like was edified by this and encouraged by this we're super thankful to the lord that he would use it in that way so uh, we hope that you know that you're not alone. I was years ago kind of wandering around after college, like how, where does this artistic side of my life fit? Like where, what do I do with this? And I found Nate Mancini and Rich Chrisman and some other gang at Forefront. And um, it's been really transformational in my life to have like people that really love Jesus and really love like the pursuit of excellent art. And so uh, your art fits at this podcast table. Yeah, yeah. There's not uh, there's not billions of them in the world, maybe, but uh, you're not alone. Like, find a community. We're here. All right, hit us up. Uh, if you enjoy the show, leave us a rate and a review. Tell your friends about it. Yeah, and I'll also say, if any of you want to come on the podcast and talk about whether you do your art just as a hobby or you do it as a career, you have thoughts about that, you want to discuss it with us, uh, let us know. Maybe we'll have you on the pod. We love that. Uh, Until next time, keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art.